0: Hey everyone, it's Russ and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Uh, I'm super excited today to have a friend and colleague of several years uh, on on with us, uh, Lisa Kaufman of Senior Care Options. How are you doing today, Lisa? I am excellent, thank you. Well, I'm glad you could join us. Um, you and I have known each other for a while now. We've had the opportunity to work on a couple of different uh, client cases together. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a great resource, both to me personally and my family, as well as to some of my yeah. clients. Uh, so I'm really excited to uh, have the opportunity to talk with you today and share some of your expertise with our listeners. Why? Um, yeah. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: okay um... I have been in the Atlanta area since 91. I came here um, after grad school to do an internship at Emory Hospital, and I really love the Atlanta area, so I stayed. Um, I I have two grown children who live close by, so I get to see them periodically, and that's nice, and um, just living my best life.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and before before we hit record, you and I were both talking about the, the strange lives we've all been living uh, here the last year plus with the pandemic and, and whatnot. But I'm um, glad to uh, glad to hear you're getting to still see your your uh, children on a regular basis. And um, sounds like sounds like overall you're doing you're doing well, which I'm happy to hear.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely.
0: So uh, digging a little bit deeper, what's uh, what's something interesting about you that maybe most people wouldn't know?
1: Um, that my undergrad degree was in fine arts. So, um, I'm, was a drawing major and have a lot of artwork in my home. And I do enjoy still just being extremely creative. It's part of what I enjoy about what I do because I use my creativity, but not in the same way at all. Um, but it is an outlet for creativity. Um, but most people, when they come to my home, or, or if I'm on a Zoom call, there's a, a piece of artwork that I did that's in the background and they often comment like, ooh, what's that painting? And I'm like, well, I did that. And then they're always, really? <laughs> so, which, uh, you know, kind of funny. But yeah, most people have no idea that um, healthcare wasn't where I started, but it is where I needed it to be.
0: Well, and clearly, we want to talk about your work in the healthcare field. But um, as far as your fine arts background and your um, your joy in creating things, is there a certain medium or type of drawing or painting that you love more than everything else, or do you just like to kind of mix it up and do a little bit of this, that, and the other? Well,
1: I do mix things up, and and actually, for the past five years or something, a lot of my creativity has been in the kitchen, but. The um, media that I work with most these days is is collage. So I um, enjoy working with different Asian papers. The textures and the colors are just very exciting to me. And I cut out different shapes or forms. And um, it's almost like a puzzle that just comes to me. I put things together and adhere it and seal it. And, you know, it's, it's just very cool. Well,
0: that's awesome. Maybe, uh, maybe when... Maybe when we're putting the, together the show notes for this episode. Um, if you're willing, maybe you could take a picture of one of your favorite pieces. Oh, I'd love can, to. Yeah, sure. Folks. That would be yeah, be sure. Because that
1: huh? is definitely something people don't know about me.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you share that with us. So, All um, right, Well, thanks. Well, so yeah. So so transitioning from you personally, let's talk a little bit more about <clears throat> what it is you do, um, which I find fascinating, by the way. And let's oh. start maybe by describing what you do in um, in simple terms, like you were explaining it maybe to a five year old. Okay.
1: Well, a lot of times families find themselves taking care of an older loved one, you know, a, a grandfather or a parent, and it's not what they do every day. And they're also very torn because they have very deep feelings for these individuals. So they don't always know what the best care is or when they need to make changes or um, find out more information. So we help folks decide and determine what are the best things they should be doing for their, their older loved one. And then we can put those things in action for them, take them to physicians and advocate. That's a big word, but you know to really stand up and um, be protective and ensure the best care for that older individual. So we want to see what they need. We want to put all of the different kind of care in place and be good communicators so that everybody knows what's going on because everybody doesn't talk to each other. I think there's a lot of things that people, a lot of mysteries about how the medical system works. And we want to, um, I guess, you know, kind of see the wizard behind the curtain kind of thing. We want people to know what the real story is and to make good choices going forward.
0: That's fantastic. I, um, I, I always, I always love uh, asking and hearing people, um, explain what it is they do in
1: in simple, as simple term. terms
0: as possible. <laughs> um, I just find it really enlightening. So I appreciate you doing that. Um,
1: or sure. I think it's a great question.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, now, now let's assume that most of our listeners aren't five years old, and right. uh, tell us a little bit about you know your company as it exi- as it exists today. You uh, you reference the word we, so clearly it's not just you doing this it- important work. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company and and maybe speak a little bit more to the kind of things you're doing on a day to day basis as you're working with your clients and their families?
1: Okay, well, um, I think one of the things I do want to say about we it's not just about me. I want people to understand the profession of aging life care management. It's also known as geriatric care management. So I, I feel compelled to say we, because you don't have to work with me, but boy, find somebody who can help you. And these are professionals that are out there. There's, you know, 2000 people across the country who are credentialed and experienced and they can help save time, money, energy, anguish, improve health, improve quality of life. Um, But having said that, I founded Senior Care Options in 2001. And I do have four employees working for me now, and they are employees, not contractors. And um, what we do, you know, on a daily basis, we always start with our clients that come to us when there's some sort of need, they're they want to move here from another state but there's a health concern or their loved one still lives at home but there's a problem with their memory and maybe they were get, they got lost in their car going someplace familiar i mean there's all sorts of different reasons why people call us and we want to assess what's going on we want to evaluate what is happening um Sometimes I I liken our needs analysis to a SWOT analysis. We want to know the strengths. We want to know the weaknesses. What are the weak areas? What are the things that this client cannot do for themselves well or successfully? And certainly the strengths. What are they still able to do? We want to play to their strengths. We want to know what the opportunities are to improve those skills or bring the support in that's needed at the right level and then the threats you know are there safety issues um so we're really looking holistically at what the individual needs and then we create a care plan and that sometimes I tell people it's the roadmap you know now you're on a journey most of our folks have some sort of cognitive impairment well this is a trip you didn't want to go on but guess what (laughs) you don't have a choice now and you're you're on it So we want to be that Sherpa, you know, the the guide to help you figure out where you're going and the care plan is the map, you know, looking forward and what are the things you need to do along the way to be more successful in this journey. Um, We can help implement the recommendations that we make or families can do that for themselves. We don't, we're not pushy about that. We're here to help. Um, We are excellent patient advocates and I like to tell people that we speak medical, you know, alluding to the mysteries of, of medical care and you know how the medical system works. If you don't work in the medical system yourself or you work with a different population, you're not gonna know the ins and outs. You're not gonna know all of the providers. You're not gonna know what the hidden agenda is. So we're here to help traverse all of that, to navigate all of that so that you are successful in getting the care that your loved one deserves.
0: Yeah, I hear you explain it in those terms. I think it's wonderful that you use the word Sherpa or guide. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of how I, um, when, when I think of you, Lisa, and all the conversations we've had over, uh, over time, I often kind of think of you as a guide who can help help families navigate this ever increasingly uh, confusing maze yeah. that is our healthcare system, especially yeah. for especially for the kind of the uh, the older um, the older population. So, um, yeah. I think I think that's oh, a good. I think that's a great way to yeah. uh, at least from my perspective. I think that's a great way to think of of a lot of not all, but a lot of the value that you really bring to I the families so. that you work I with. Think
1: so. um, we can really really help with a lot of the heartache and and the advocacy piece I think is very strong for my team. Um, they are all passionate about what they do and providing the, the best care, making sure that folks are getting the care they are supposed to get, what they are paying for, but maybe aren't receiving. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we're here for.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you're in Atlanta, you've got your company and four employees do you, uh, do, you get, uh, do you and your team just serve basically the um, metro Atlanta area, the state of Georgia? Do you work outside of uh, out of Georgia or kind of what's your uh, coverage area in terms of your ability to serve families?
1: Usually it's the metro Atlanta area. Um, one of the interesting uh, revelations, if you will, that has come out of this past year with COVID um, is doing some virtual stuff, uh, telehealth, and being able to serve folks at a distance so that we don't necessarily need to be on site. It's not a replacement for what we do, but um, it's not a bad way to access care. Um, I think we're going to see that more and more. And I think for folks who live further out and don't have maybe the specialists that they need, this is going to open up better care for so many people. Um, having said that, the resources I am familiar with are really in the metro Atlanta area, which is enormous. And I'm not comfortable going beyond state lines, because I don't really know the regulations and statutes and things in other other states, each state has their own rules and regs on how health care is administered, especially guidelines on powers of attorney, guardianships, um, Medicare and Medicaid. These are important things. I, I don't know what Tennessee does or California does. I, everybody does something different, but I sure know what Georgia does.
0: Right, right. And so I'm,
1: I'm good staying here.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier that there are, um, there are tons of other licensed credential geriatric care managers and specialists out there so correct if, if someone's listening so yeah so if someone is listening to this and they're not in the state of georgia um mm-hmm. you know maybe they're a state away or several states away is there a resource that you would point people to where they could maybe yeah. go and, and and maybe identify someone that's geographically close and yeah. uh, and and would still be uh in a position to um to bring experience and uh, expertise to the table?
1: Yes, I'd love to share. And it's something that certainly when I was in in person with people, I answered that question so often I put it on the back of my business card. Um, The website to find an aging life care professional within a hundred miles of you is www.aginglifecare.org. They've got a fabulous website and there's an orange button in the upper right hand corner that you can click that says find an aging life care professional and you put in a zip code or a city name or what and you can find all sorts of information about who serves that area.
0: Perfect. Yep. Well, well, clearly, anyone listening, if you're if you're in 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 and around the Atlanta area, or even in the state of Georgia, um, you need to reach out to Lisa if you've got questions about any of this stuff. But um, that's a great resource, and we'll we'll be sure to uh, be sure to share a, a, that link to that website in oh, the true. show notes when we pay, 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 uh, post this as well. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So clearly, there are a lot of people out there that offer this guidance and expertise um, in aging life care. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, Lisa, is unique about about you, uh, both as a person but also as a professional in serving uh, families that have these needs or need this assistance uh, dealing with loved ones or other family or friends that are going through some um, age-related challenges?
1: Uh, Great question. I think one of the things that's distinguishing about me is... (laughs) This is going to sound really weird. I have a high threshold for pain, so I will take clients that are a little more challenging. Um, not that I'm asking for that, but I that advocacy that I mentioned earlier really is very deeply rooted for me. I, I want everybody to get the best possible care, even if they are not maybe the nicest person or they don't have somebody to help them or whatever it might be. I think everybody deserves the best care. Um, having said that, I love to work with families who are appreciative and realize that we're here to help them. Um, so I guess, I don't know, that must be part of it.
0: <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm glad you shared that. And I, 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 yeah. I think that, I think that is important. Um, you can speak to this more than I could, but I would have to think if, uh, if, a, a person is, uh, less patient, more argumentative, a little bit more competitive, um, that they, they could come across as perhaps being their own worst enemy when trying to seek care and, and yes. services and, and certainly yeah. ad, advocacy. So I think your willingness to step up and take that on uh, yeah. and help and help them, especially Whatever when there's situation. no one else there. Uh, yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. The
1: situations are very complicated we're really pretty organized. I, you know, another thing that I think is differentiating, but it shouldn't be in my mind. I'll call people back. Um, I'm accountable, and I think that is really important. We try to be organized. We try to be really communicative, and and have accountability to who we are serving. Um, yeah,
0: it's amazing in this day and age how oh how far just like actually doing what you you say you're going to do, we'll, we'll, go. <laughs> we'll go for people.
1: I know. I, so it's one of those things. It's like, I can't believe I'm even saying this, except that I don't know that everybody does it anymore. So um, if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Uh, the other thing that differentiates me um, is that I'm also a certified end of life doula. And there are very few end of life doulas period, but certainly in the Atlanta area and uh, among care managers, it's, it's, it's a specialty. Um, And that's maybe for a whole other conversation, but it is, again, sort of a guide that is helping the person who is terminally ill plan um, personally and spiritually. It's not a financial thing. It's not a legal thing. And it's not really very medical, but it's to get that person ready for their own passing and to hold vigil for them. So they're, they're not alone.
0: I'm glad you're all, I, I had that on my, uh, on my, uh, notes to ask you about that. So I'm glad, oh, you okay, brought, cool. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I, I tend to agree that that might be, uh, that might be a great topic for, uh, another a conversation. So we'll have, yeah, yeah. we'll have to have you back to maybe tackle okay. uh, all the ins and outs of that. And some of the, um, I, I know, um, I know you do some, and I might, I might be misremembering this, but I think you do like death cafes. Am I remembering that right?
1: I haven't because of last
0: year. Well, clearly. Yeah, but but.
1: Yes. And I, I enjoyed that. Um, death is such a taboo topic and for reasons I do not understand <laughs> about myself, I'm really quite comfortable with it. And I, I want people to be okay. I think it goes back to the advocacy. So, this was just an opportunity for just anybody. Sometimes we had medical social workers, but then we just had, you know, people out in the community who wanted to come and ask questions that they felt uncomfortable asking. It's not a support group. Um, And every once in a while, we would talk about these personal experiences, but it was just so interesting to hear what people wanted to know about and Sometimes they wanted to know about funeral practices or what happens to our bodies, or sometimes they wanted to know what is an advanced directive and why do I need that? So the conversation went all over the place. And the the other thing that I did for my group, because I just loved it, um, I like to bake. So I would bake a cake and um, bring it. So we would have cake and conversation like civilized people. And it was just, it was really Lovely to have a very um, deep conversation with with other people that have completely different outlooks in life, and different age groups. And one of my favorite groups, actually, gosh, we must have had twenty people. It was really large, and there were people in their seventies, and a few middle aged people like myself, and then there were twenty somethings there, millennials, really, um, and they were all talking about legacy and what that meant and the boomers thought it was financial and they wanted to leave money and the millennials wanted something personal and sentimental it was fascinating to me and it was eye-opening to both groups about where they were coming from and how to meet in the middle it was really lovely
0: wow yeah that sounds that sounds neat and and for those listening out there, if, if, if we haven't already, maybe that uh, sort of whets your appetite for us to have Lisa back in the future to talk a little bit more about her work as an end-of-life doula and the death cafes and, and things, yeah, uh, things like too. that. And I, I imagine, uh, I imagine uh, baking some cakes was a creative outlet uh, for you as well.
1: Exactly. So. I yeah. loved it.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, so thanks for sharing that. One one more question before we kind of move on. You mentioned a okay. couple of times advocacy, and I think you even used the... the the phrase um that you have a real uh, deep rooted um belief in advocacy is there anything specific you attribute attribute that that deep rooted um commitment to adv- advocacy for others uh like, you know do you, do you know where that comes from
1: i'm not really really sure other than i truly russ i feel i'm wired this way but having said that um I lived with my grandmother when I was a little girl, Um, my mother as well, but it was a different experience having my grandmother in the home, and it was wonderful, and um, my father passed away when I was 20, and I wanted to advocate, but it was, at that time, it's just stuff you didn't talk about, and it didn't sit well with me. And I wanted to talk about it, and it's just taken me a long time to kind of figure out how do you navigate these conversations that really need to be released, you know, people need to have these conversations, and how can I facilitate that, I just think it was something I was introduced to at a fairly young age, it's just part of who I am, I'm not really sure what transpired.
0: Well, I think, I think that's a, as good an answer as any, and it's fantastic okay. that you get to cool. embrace it and, <laughs> and live it out and, and kind of make yeah. it, you know, make it your, your vocation and something you really yeah. love doing. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. What's um, I know, I know in our conversations over, uh, over the last few years, you've shared a lot of different stories with me uh, about how you've been able to get involved and help a family. But as you think back over the years, what's a favorite client success story that comes to mind for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, I have one that just jumps out every time. And you know, I may have told you, but for your listeners, I'll go ahead and, and share again. This is, gosh, it's been a long time ago now. There was um, a young woman who was power of attorney for her grandmother. Her grandmother lived in Florida. The granddaughter lived here in the Atlanta area. Grandmother had open heart surgery and wasn't rehabbing well. So granddaughter wanted to move her here. So we figured out how to get her from one nursing home to another nursing home in the local area. And she proceeded to um, decline from there, um, developed uh, essentially bed sores and was no longer eligible for physical therapy. So I got brought in because she was not doing well and I evaluated her and in my testing, because we use some screening tools and I'll, definitely tell people I'm not a physician. I'm not diagnosing things, but I do like to screen for stuff and I want to know what I'm working with. So there's one particular tool that I use that I really love that, that examines cognitive deficits, but it looks at things in a very different way, which is part of what I like about it. So one of the things that occurred to me in the screening tool is this woman had a history of stroke And she had um, left side neglect. And not that I want to get into all of that, but in, in essence, that is where the damage in the brain on the right side makes the left side sort of forget that things are there. So she truly just didn't see things. So I noticed this because she'd lost 25 pounds and she just was not doing well. So when I went to her room, her room was situated so that everything was on the left. So she just didn't see any of it. So when the, they, um, her weight loss triggered dietary to start giving her supplements like booster ensure any of that stuff, but they opened the can and they put it on her bedside table, which was on the left. So she never saw it. And there wasn't somebody sitting there encouraging her to drink it. And, you know, if you drink one of those things at room temperature, they're pretty nasty. So, um, I was like, all right, that's interesting. And then I went and I observed her in the dining hall and she only ate food on one side of her plate. And every time she'd pick up her coffee cup, she'd put it back down at the left and then she'd forget where it was. And she was sitting next to a caregiver who was feeding all of these people and they didn't notice. And I was like, okay, okay. Yes, it says that she's had a stroke, but it doesn't show that this is impacting her care. So I was like, all right, whatever. So I came back to the, the granddaughter and I said, look, your, your grandmother is really right at the, the tipping point of needing hospice, but I would really like to try a simple fix, a caregiver, where she has one person attending to her needs and we need to specifically tell them to supervise the eating, let's rearrange her room. So that instead of things being on the left, they're on the right, you know, simple fixes to me. Um, So we did all of that. And, you know, God love this woman. She improved, she gained weight, her wounds healed. She graduated from PT and then got to move out of the nursing home into an assisted living where she lived for eight more years. The woman lived to be, I think, 94. Holy cow. Yeah.
0: So from the, that from, is, from being on the brink of hospice care.
1: Yes. I mean, she wouldn't make eye contact. She was, you know, very apathetic and lethargic when I first met her. Uh, it was, it was night and day. Wow. And when we got the proper nutrition and attention on board and made small shifts to support her independence. She became very independent.
0: So what a great it's one story. of my favorite stories. Well, I can see why. <laughs> what a yeah. What a <laughs> wow. And, and I and I love the fact that ultimately it took some skill and uh, observation to identify yep. the issues, but uh, the the actual solution was was relatively simple. Um, yes, it was. Which is, but
1: here she was in a skilled facility, and even though it was documented that she had this history, nobody took the time to watch what was happening and how to maximize her success. So, um, yeah, I think that is part of why it's one of my favorites is that it shows a lot of, um, skill as a care manager, good observation, good detecting, um, detective work to kind of figure things out. And then what is an affordable solution with high success?
0: Yeah. And something else that kind of jumped out at me about that story is that, um, the in this case the patient was a grand uh, was was the grandmother but you were actually yep. approached and engaged by the granddaughter is that correct correct so who correct. so that in my mind that raises an interesting question who typically hires you I, I assume it's not necessarily the actual person that needs the care no. it might be it's, it might be their children or in this case a grandchildren correct
1: correct it's usually the the family the ones who um, take on I don't know how else to put this but it is true the burden of care. Uh, it falls to them. Something is no longer working, and someone, usually a social worker, is seeking out who can be responsible for this individual who is not successful in whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times, the, the the elder themselves, they don't want to reach out for help for a lot of reasons, including they don't want anybody to know. It's embarrassing. You know, if you're starting to be incontinent, you don't want people to know. And when people are, um, they have cognitive impairment, they may know enough to hide what they're embarrassed about. So <laughs> numerous times we've run into, just for the incontinence issue, where people hide soiled undergarments in pocketbooks and purses and hampers and, you know, all sorts of places, potted plants. I mean, just weird things because they don't want anyone to know it's embarrassing and that part they know they know this is embarrassing so dignity is a huge issue um so they maybe don't want that they're fearful that they're going to be put up in a nursing home and no one will see them again so they don't want people to know that they need help or they don't want to spend any money they want to leave it to their kids or their grandkids. So they they maybe have been saving for their entire lives and they don't want to spend that money. Well, it's their money right. and they need it for their care. So use it. This is what you saved it for. So those are some of the you know plethora of reasons why the seniors themselves don't reach out and that the families do. The families need the help. Finding the right care and and supervising, monitoring what's going on with their their older loved one.
0: And I I think you might have just answered this, but let me ask it in a different way. So from your perspective, Lisa, what's the, what's the biggest challenge that you help people address or solve through your work? Uh, and I know I know that's a big question. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we do a lot. Um, I guess. Uh we want to resolve whatever the source of pain is. So, and it can be physical pain. It could be emotional pain. It can be stress, you know, and it, it's pain for both the family and the senior. Um, just like with that story about the grandmother that had we not observed, we wouldn't have known, or I wouldn't have known what the root cause was. And a lot of times people are so busy putting band-aids on things. They don't ever drill down to what's the root source of the pain. And I think one of the things that care managers do really well, certainly my team um, is we, we don't look at things at the surface. We want to really dig deep and see why has it come to this instead of putting another pill on things, or just that Band-Aid cover-up approach. We wanna, what needs to be extracted? What do we need to explore? How do we correct this at a very deep level so that it's really fixed if we can? It's just not okay to, well, chalk it up to old age and let's keep going. That's not a good answer to me.
0: Right, right.
1: I don't know if that answered your question. It does, it it
0: does. And and, and I know that, as you said, you guys, you do a lot, so um, that's that's a probably a, a, yeah. That one probably put you on the spot there, but um, <laughs> um, I, I guess and maybe kind of a, a different a, a variation of that uh, of that question is what what have you encountered that maybe is a common misconception about the work you do? Um, maybe something that a, a myth or a, a misconception that you'd like to dispel.
1: Um. Not sure that it would be a myth, but definitely a misconception. People don't know what care management is, what aging life care management or geriatric care management is. So when I introduce the concept, it's abstract. So people are in a hurry. So sometimes they quickly try to categorize what we do. Oh, well, you do home health or, oh, you have a home care. Co- no, I don't do either of those things. Well, you don't because they stop listening. As soon as they think they know what you do, they stop listening. Um, so, I get a whole lot of, you know, somebody told me to call you, but I just need a sitter for my mom. Yeah, I don't do that. I can help you find that and I will help you find the right one. But um, we don't actually lay hands on anybody. We are managing the the aging care and the health care for this individual. And I think uh, uh, another common misconception, not necessarily about care management, but about physicians and I'm going to just put a disclaimer in here. I don't dislike physicians, so please don't take this the wrong way. Physicians often are in their own offices. They have a very specific amount of time that they can spend with each patient. They don't make the money they used to make because Medicare pays them less every year. So there's a real time crunch to get all of those patients seen as quickly as possible. So they don't have the time to sit and spend, they certainly aren't going to people's homes to see how they really live. So a lot of people have the misconception that the physician knows all of this stuff, who the providers are, how to tap in, what's assisted living, getting the care they needed, how long-term care insurance works, that they are the pinnacle of information on aging. They are the pinnacle of information on how the body works, disease process and medications, treatments, surgeries. Yes, absolutely. But I've also run into um, plenty of people who said, well, the doctor said my mom needs a nursing home. And as I'm asking questions, well, tell me more about her physical condition. Well, she doesn't have, she's healthy as a horse. She just has dementia. Oh, well, why did they say she needed a nursing home? Well, they said she needs 24-hour care. I said, does she need 24-hour supervision or 24-hour care? Oh, well, I guess it's really just supervision. All right, she doesn't need a nursing home. She needs a memory care unit and assisted living. And it opens up their world. It's a whole different conversation. And, you know, I just find that people often, they, they go to their primary care physicians who maybe are not geriatricians. They might see a lot of old people, but they didn't really study old people. So they, they aren't as informed as I wish they were. Often there are plenty who do a great job and I love working with them. Don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of times people think that that the answer to their questions is whatever their doctor tells them. And it's not always the case.
0: Right, right. Yeah, why, well, and, and yeah, and thank you for explaining that. I think that I agree that arguably any professional service is somewhat abstract, um, um, and I, I think that um, people just tend to kind of pigeonhole you or I into something that's familiar to them, yes. and, and I, think yes. that, uh, I think that having the opportunity to explain and give examples and tell stories kind of like we're doing here. uh, I was just
1: going to say, that's why this is so awesome. And I appreciate it, Russ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully that'll help, uh, help kind of break through some of those uh, misconceptions. Um, So, so thanks. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. We're, we're running a little bit long. Are you, are you okay on time, Lisa? I'm
1: I'm fine with it and you can edit as you need to.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, So, so let's say you do have the opportunity, someone's referred to you and you do have an opportunity to explain what uh, aging life care is, and, and what you do, and, and maybe more importantly, what you don't do. Mm-hmm. What prevents, in your experience, what prevents someone from actually engaging you or or following your advice? Or, or let's say they have engaged you and you've given them, you've done an analysis, uh, a needs analysis, and you've given them advice, but maybe they don't follow through on all the advice. What what do you what do you uh, what do you think prevents people from actually following through and doing what you've identified, or 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 maybe what they've identified is the best course of action?
1: Oh my gosh, that's that's a slippery slope right there. Um, honestly, I think it's control issues. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. That the, if the family member is paying a, a consultant, which in essence we are, for our professional advice and then not follow it, um, that speaks to something about them that's not working well. Um, Sometimes it is that um, the loved one doesn't want their, their relative to get sick, old, and die. So they do everything they think they need to be doing to keep that person alive forever, which is not realistic. But sometimes it's they have a need to be right. Um, so they want to do it the way they want to do it, even though it's not working and they asked for help and they aren't listening to the advice that's given. I'm sure you've had clients that came to you and then didn't do what you said you wanted them to do. And it, I'm OK with people doing what they want to do. But I've, I, the things that I don't like is when you then complain that it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't do what I said or the rare occasion that they they didn't like the outcomes so they don't want to pay for it. I'm like, "Yeah, but you didn't do what I said, and then you don't get to not pay me for that."
0: So. It's a, yeah, it's it's uh we could likely compare notes, but it's it's yeah. inter- it's interesting how uh psychology and human behavior yes. plays into all this and 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 I'm yes. sure we I'm sure we collectively bring each of our own Biases and we personal do. histories to the table that all we impact do. these decisions, for better or worse. But yes, um, yeah, well, we uh, are
1: the accumulation of our experiences.
0: Absolutely, that's interesting. Yeah. So let's uh, let's say uh, let's say someone listening to this um, is uh, let, let's say they're in college, or maybe uh, maybe they're older, but they have a, a, a younger child or even a grandchild that's listening to this, and they're like, wow. The work that Lisa does sounds really interesting and challenging and rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm maybe getting ready to graduate high school or maybe I'm in college and I'd like to learn more about that. Is there, um, is there a, any, any specific advice or guidance you might give to a younger person that's interested in um, maybe building up their skill set or exploring uh, more about yeah. how they might uh, pursue uh, this type of work?
1: Ah, Yes, and I would I would love that. Uh, We need more care managers, the more care managers we get, the more familiar the concept will be to people and the better served the the general public will be. Um, There are some um, academic institutions that have care management programs, some of them are degreed and some of them are just certifications so that is important to note. Um, My preference at this time, just because this is still a fairly young profession, I love when um, people in the medical field, clinicians, providers decide that they do want to do this because they have the field experience to offer a larger bandwidth um, and expertise to what they do. Um, I think somebody come in straight out of college, um, or getting ready to go to college, and they're like, well, I'd like to get a degree in care management. I, I think that is fabulous. And I applaud that. Um, You may or may not get all of the field experience you need. But if you went in under social work or nursing or speech therapy or physical therapy, or any of these other things, you're going to get a broader base knowledge at this time. So I know that I have colleagues who will not agree with me about this, but <laughs> you're asking me. So I'm telling you my opinion. Um, when I look to hire people, that's what I'm looking for. Um, I've had, I, I have a, a, a young, a youthful uh, staff member right now, but she's got great experience and she's learning as she's going. And we all do. I, I kind of feel like if you stop learning, you may as well no longer be living. Um, She has great field experience and she is doing an amazing job. So she's young. She's still, um, she's doing a bridge program from LPN to RN. And I'm just so supportive of her, her own professional development. Um, It's exciting to watch that, but I do think that students can get in, in a variety of different ways, whatever they are really called to do or are interested in. If you like the really messy medical side, well, nursing might be a good, good way for you to go. If you're more, um, compassionate and you really want to work on the psych issues, and the family dynamics, and maybe social work might be a better way to go. You know, there are a lot of different ways you can get in into the field, and actually the the aforementioned website has information on how to become a care manager.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, so thanks for sharing that. It sounds like there's a a lot of ways to to pursue work in this field. Um, there as, are. And, yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, the, the website Lisa's referring to, we'll be sure to share that in the show notes. So if you've got interested in, in lear- looking into more resources um, or identifying a care manager in your area, then sounds like that'd be a great, great yes. resource for you. It's a great resource. So... The name of this podcast is Women's Retirement Radio. Um, as, as you know, um, a, a lot of the work I do uh, revolves around retirement for women and their families. When, when you think of the word retirement, Lisa, what comes to mind for you personally?
1: <laughs> I'm not really sure when I'm going to do it. Um, I think it's going to be a while. And in part, because I do enjoy what I do so much. Whoops! Please edit that out. Um yeah, I I do enjoy what I do, so it may be a while I want to find a happy way to continue giving back to the community. Um but it also means to me that I'll have the options both for my own care and comfortable living as I get older. Um but also to be able to do things that I enjoy. And being able to have the resources to do that. And one of the things I know about what I do and what you do is having financial resources gives you more options.
0: Yeah. And options are good. Yes, Um, they are. So hearing you you put it in those terms, it sounds like to you like retirement is... While while maybe it hasn't been defined in specific terms, it sounds like it's a kind of a point in time, like when when things change, either your work changes or how you spend your time changes. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, that is fair to say.
0: And do you can you imagine uh, can you imagine uh, maybe, and I'm, I'm making air quotes when I say retirement. Can you imagine retiring but still being uh, involved? Maybe dialing back some with your work in. Oh, of absolutely, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think Definitely. that's, I think that's interesting. And I, I li- always like to explore um, people's ideas around retirement because it, it means so many different things to so many people. So, um, so thanks for sharing that. How um, I,
1: can I, can I share a story that again, you can edit out later if you want to.
0: Yeah, please. And and I think, I don't know if I did, did, t- didn't tell you, but this is a, this is a no edit recording. So uh, oh, let, crap. It, let, well, let it, let right. it fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. So back when I worked at Emory University Hospital, I did have the opportunity. I usually worked in the psych and substance abuse unit, which actually doesn't even exist anymore. That's how old I am. Um, So I have interesting experiences from that time, but I would float to the rehab center and um, cover there as a recreation therapist. And we had a lot of men who were going through rehab post-stroke, right after a stroke. And it turned out that they had strokes right after retirement, within six months. And there was a correlation between going from, especially for men, no offense, and I know this is for women, but still, that men, and certainly of that generation, because we're talking 30 years ago, um, you worked and that was what your identity was And then when you didn't work, you didn't know what to do with yourself. So people got sick. And I think women do on large, you know, a better job of having a more balanced or well-rounded life where they have other things that they like to do. Um, But I do have a belief that if you stop doing stuff altogether and do nothing, that is when illness And dementia really could kick in. Um, Just that lack of stimulation, that lack of socialization, that lack of involvement, the decreased learning new things, all that stuff is good stuff for brain health and and being involved. And um, so to me, retirement needs to have some sort of involvement of something, or there's a huge risk that you won't be enjoying that time.
0: I'm glad. Yeah. So so thanks for sharing that story. And I, I, I find that super interesting and I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that, um, while retirement is usually associated with, with work, um, Mm -hmm. I I think the transition from full-time work to full-time life can be very abrupt for, for some people. Um, and I think, I think a lot of us take for granted what we get from our work beyond a paycheck. Um, you know, we have social interactions, we have responsibilities, mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, decision-making skills that helps keep us sharp. So I, I agree. I think that a lot of people um, are uh, risking accelerated decline if they yeah. retire to, to to literally nothing. Nothing. So, um,
1: and there, I don't know of any really great courses or anything out there. And again, this comes from my recreation therapy background. Of how to prepare for retirement from that aspect, not the financial aspect, but from the uh, quality of life and and being involved, you know what are you gonna do, and getting yourself ready um, that you know accountability there's a lot of accountability when you're working, and then you go to not working, and it's like a uh, pandemic where right. we don't know what day it is, we don't shower every day, we're wearing sweatpants and yoga pants, and you know. We all got a taste of what retirement sort of feels like. So yeah. it's I think it would be interesting to see how to help people prepare in a in a different way, in a personal way.
0: Yeah, that's for interesting. for
1: that huge change in lifestyle after years of doing what we do.
0: Yeah, well, I that, that's interesting. I'll, We'll have to put a pin in that. Maybe that's something. Yeah. you and I can just discuss. Uh, Perfect. Discuss me offline. Um, interesting. <laughs> Well, well, thanks again for telling that story. I, I think it yeah. really adds some color to um, the different, not just the different views, but the different impact that varying degrees of retirement can have on our, our lives, yeah. both physically, but also emotionally and mentally and, and things like that. So, um, and financially. Yeah, well, yeah of course. Um, yeah. So how does your work, um, how, how do you think your work impacts women in their families as they are planning for or transitioning into retirement,
1: I think that um, caregiving traditionally and statistically falls to women. Whether it's for children, and we've seen lots of studies about how the female workforce for mothers has been negatively impacted by by the pandemic and and schools being online, but the same um phenomenon happens for caregiving for older relatives it um statistically falls to women i'll just put it that way so that does impact their working and their productive years as they get a little bit older and they don't have kids at home maybe um when their earning potential is the highest uh for men too that if but for women who then find themselves in the role of caregiver and they're taking a loved one to the doctor every week, because that's not uncommon. Um, They're taking more time off. Sometimes they go part-time. I've worked with women who took early retirement to take care of their loved one. So their loved one didn't have to spend any money on care. And I said, that is so noble of you. And don't know if you can hear my voice dripping in sarcasm. And I tried to be very nice when I said it. So don't get me the wrong way. But I said, please think of yourself. You are now not making what you need for your own retirement. Why would you do this? Because you're a dutiful daughter? Yes. Okay. I get that. Um, But the guilt trip is only going to go so far and then you're going to be at a loss. You know, uh, right. I think it's important to think about, you know, what your own needs are and being a caregiver doesn't mean that you don't address your own needs. We all need to take care of ourselves first and then care for whoever we're taking care of. And women don't do that well.
0: I've, um, I, I agree. I've experienced the same thing that, um, that they, um, they just now, na- oftentimes, naturally fall into the caregiver role, uh, yep. and and unfortunately, sometimes at the expense of their own self care. Um, correct. Not not just financially either. I mean, uh, no, some, no. But it is it's
1: sometimes the whole- they're burning
0: the candle at both ends, and they're not getting yeah. enough sleep, and it just kind of spirals yep. downhill from there. So
1: correct, correct.
0: Wow. Well, I I think I think the takeaway there is that there are resources like like yourself in your company that can mm-hmm. help help either relieve women of this burden or, or if nothing else, share the burden with them and, and have, yeah. have some skilled uh, you know, some expertise in place to, to again, help, help navigate and help make decisions. Absolutely. So, so you don't have to shoulder that entire burden yourself. Because
1: exactly. It, it exactly. Can, can so I used to uh, facilitate support groups. It's been a while and I, actually, I really loved doing it. So I'd love to do it again. Um, and I would tell the caregivers who came to the support groups, and this is usually for, for um, Alzheimer's disease, which is just the slow insidious process of loss and grief and change. Um, it just takes such a long time. Anyway, um, many of the participants were women and many of them had such feelings of guilt about how they needed to care for their, their parent or relative. Um, and I would say... You know, nowhere is it written that you need to be the, you know, diaper changer and that you have to be involved at that level. I said, you can hire a caregiver to do the things that are too hard or you don't have time or you don't want to do. And that doesn't diminish that you still get to have sleepless nights and be the decision maker and, and be the number one worrier. You're still the primary caregiver and you don't have to give somebody a shower. Get the help you need to allow you more time and energy and bandwidth to take good care and make good decisions for people. Yeah. That's what they're relying on.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I, I cannot underline that point enough because if you, um, whether you're a woman or a man or a married couple, if, if, if in the um, effort to care for um an aging parent or a grandparent or whatever. First if you put spouse, your, yeah. if you jeopardize your own situation, um, uh, you know, what have you, what have you really accomplished? Um, exactly. You, you, one you, of maybe, the
1: questions, yeah, that we ask uh, when we we're talking with the family member about engaging with us, because sometimes I talk to folks and they're not quite sure that they're ready to do this. So one of the questions is, what happens to the loved one you're taking care of if something happens to you? And that prompts action. What a great question. Um, I have a, a relatively new client now that we had been talking for years and he wasn't ready. He wasn't, and he had his own health scare, which meant there was no one to care for his partner. And that was a game changer.
0: Uh, yeah, I bet. And, and the other, I guess the, the, the other side of that same coin is uh, a question I've asked um, in a similar vein is um, if you, if you jeopardize your, financial position or whatever taking care of your parent for example right um, you're increasing the likelihood that you're going to pass the same burden down to your children um, yes as, as you age and that that's usually a, a real eye-opener uh, yes
1: that's a great too. point yeah. great point
0: well we I think we've identified at least half a dozen topics that are probably worthy of a uh, of a uh, another episode at some point cool. in the future and that's probably that's, that's probably uh, <laughs> one of them but um as we wrap up uh, our conversation today, Lisa, mm-hmm. which, which I've loved, by the way, this has been great. Um, oh yeah, very fun. Thank if you. There were, we've, we've clearly covered a lot, but if there were one thing, a single thing our listeners could take away from our, our talk or our conversation today, what would you want that one thing to be?
1: <sighs> yeah, we have talked about a lot. You know what? I'm just going to piggyback on what we were just talking about. Um, and this is also something that I, I used to say in those support groups for the caregivers. Self-care is very important. And if something happens to you because you weren't taking care of yourself, that is going to impact whoever is relying on you, whether they are children or they're an older loved one, or they are a spouse. doesn't matter who you're caring for. If you no longer are able to provide that for them because you didn't take care of yourself, then they are, you're doubly at a loss. So it is so important for caregivers to have self-care, know when they're at risk to having caregiver burnout um, and to prevent that. And self-care will go a long way in, in preventing that burnout. But getting the help you need only makes it better for all of you.
0: Yeah, amen to that. Yep. That's a, yeah, I think that's a great I think that's a great place to wrap things up. So okay. uh, so Lisa, if uh, people are listening to this or maybe um, this was passed along to them by a friend or family member and they, they think, man, I need to reach out and, and talk to Lisa or learn, at least learn more. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you or learn, learn more about you and Senior Care Options?
1: Well, our website is www.seniorcareopt.com. Um, that's a great way. There's an info button. There's some white papers on there that you can download and you can connect with me that way. Um, and our phone number is 70-579-9177.
0: Awesome. Thanks. And we'll be sure to include the website and the phone number in the, uh, in the show notes. And, and uh, of course, anyone you're welcome to reach out to me and I'm happy to connect you with Lisa as well, but certainly don't uh, hesitate to reach out to her uh, directly. Um, Lisa, this has been fun. I'm glad we glad,
1: It has. Thanks so in. much, Russ. I, I always enjoy talking with you, period. But it's always great to, you have such wonderful questions. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share what I do.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad we had the, uh, the opportunity to uh, hopefully, hopefully let a few more people out there know uh, who you are and what it is you do. So uh, hopefully you'll hear from, uh, hear from some folks. Before we, uh, before we wrap it up for good, anything you want to add or any closing thoughts?
1: The help is there. Don't be afraid to ask for it. It doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Lisa. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Again, this is Russ with Women's Retirement Radio and we'll look forward to catching up with you on the next episode. Hey, before you go, it's Russ again with some important disclosure information for you. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor, a certified divorce financial analyst, and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.